It's Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. Again, in case you forgot what day it is. I told you a few weeks back I was expecting a visit from the Fishers. Head of that family is Warren Fisher, also known as Fish. Played bass on our Boogada 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 record. One of the finest people I know. I'm proud to call him a friend. He's a good man. And he's the kind of man that you want around in a crisis. So when a crisis popped up in his extended family, a COVID-related one, he answered the call, which meant he and his immediate family were under quarantine and unable to make their pilgrimage up to Weasel Manor as planned. Which was unfortunate, but we'll see him again in the spring, I'm sure, and his wife and the Brian Vermin family as well, I'm hoping. But the good news is yesterday I got a visit from the queers who were on their way from Green Bay to Des Moines. They were stopped, as everybody was for a while by the pandemic, but they're back on the road seemingly constantly. And they seem to be doing pretty good. I am always happy to see Joe, another of my favorite people. And uh, they had just fired somebody. And I think the replacement had just flown in. I assume they just, you know, baptism by fire. Threw him in at the deep end in Des Moines last night. So if you get a chance, go see him on this tour. And if you do go see them, I gave Joe and the gang 35 copies of our last album, Some Freaks of Atavism, on clear vinyl. It's from the European pressing. My thinking was, I'm back to being a one-man operation. I don't feel like doing mail order. I'm very, very busy with a, a creative project that is more time-consuming than anything else I've ever done. And the last thing I want to do is sit here boxing up records and shipping them out. So I figured I've got about 90 of them. So I figured I'd see if Joe would take some, flip them for me, make a little profit for himself. And uh, he thought he could unload 35 of them. So they're limited to 500 clear vinyl on striped records out of Italy. Uh, the label run by Andrea from the Manges, the mighty, the formidable Manges. I've also got a project going with uh, Andrea, which I'm not talking about yet, except to say that it exists. But that's fun. I've been working on that with him. And uh, in addition to mixing the new Screeching Weasel album and working on my, my other thing here. And I was, uh, so I don't know who these other guys are except Dogleg. Dogleg is the drummer for the queers and has been for a while now. Uh, so I've met him a bunch of times. Uh, but these other guys, there was some other dude and somebody told me his name, but my dog was just running around hysterically spazzing out because people were here. And I didn't quite, ca I think the one guy's name is Badger. He's got a beard. And then the other dude is the guy they, they flew in. 
uh, I don't know what the hell his name is. Anyway, Joe somehow pulls it off. Joe is a guy who can fire a dude mid-tour, replace him same day, and the tour just goes on like nothing happened. The band's up there going through the, you know, tearing through the set the next night. I couldn't do it. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. When, uh, when Trevor, before he was in Screeching Weasel, was our tour manager, he, uh, he had something going on one weekend where he couldn't make the shows. So he found somebody to sub for us as tour manager, and he, we were doing some shows with the dwarves and the queers. And he sent, uh, and I read it, he sent a, a document to the temporary tour manager giving him the lowdown on the ins and outs. And so, so like, the first eight pages are all, like, the care and feeding of Ben Weasel, right? And then, and then the next 12 pages are the care and feeding of Blag from the dwarves. And then there's, like, half a page on the queers. And it, it pretty much just says, the queers will not show up at load-in, they will show up really late. They'll appear to be completely disorganized. You'll think there's there's no way they're going to get it together and get on stage and and play their set on time. And but just just back off and let them do their thing. They'll make it happen. And they do. I don't know how it works, but it works. Which reminds me, I want to say I have never talked about this with Joe. Not because I've been shying away from the subject, but somebody told me the last time we played with them, I think it was at the House of Blues show, we played with them a couple years ago, that uh, they were, I think they were our direct support on that show. So I think they played right before us. And uh, apparently they overshot their set time, which they never do, but uh, I think our tour manager pulled the plug on them. I think he had the curtains... Uh, pulled and and uh, and the sound turned off. Um, I don't I don't know if it went that far, but I know that there was that something happened. And uh, I mean, you know, I'm not there till 15, 20 minutes before we go on. I'm not at the club. I don't want to be at the club. So I show up, do a few stretches, do a couple scales to warm the old pipes up say a Hail Mary and get up out there and do my thing. And then 15 minutes after we're, we're done, I'm gone usually. So, or sooner. So, uh, so I don't know what happened there. I'll have to ask him about that. Uh, somebody taught Joe how to text recently. So I've been texting him. You know, this is a guy who still has an AOL email address. So texting is just like, you know, it's still like sorcery for him the novelty but I was thinking about them a lot of people don't know this very few people know this but I uh, produced and I use that term about as loosely as you can so think of it think of me making air quotes I produced the album Love Songs for the Retarded uh, 
I've told the story before that when we did My Brain Hurts, we wanted to be on Lookout Records and and um, and Kamala Parks, who is referenced in the song Kamala's Too Nice, said that Larry had gotten into producing and that if we wanted to get on the label, we should ask him to produce the record. So we did. And, uh, and then a bunch of other things happened and I won't get into it now, but he, he didn't keep producing, but he got it into his head that I would make a good producer. I have no idea why I'm the last guy in the world that should be producing anything for anyone ever because I don't like most music and I don't really have that many ideas about what to do with other people's music um, beyond this tune isn't good enough, don't put it on the record, and here's how it should be sequenced, right? But beyond that, I'm fairly useless in that department, but for whatever reason, Larry decided I should produce the queers, and I felt like, you know, I had, I had been pushing the label to sign the queers, and I felt like if that's, you know, what it takes to get the label behind them, then I'm willing to do it. Plus, you know, my ego was stroked because it's like, hey, somebody thinks I can produce. It didn't really occur to me to stop and think about it for two seconds and, and uh, ask myself if I had any idea what I was doing, which turns out I didn't. And on top of that, uh, their drummer, Hugh, was on a methadone maintenance program and had less than 24 hours to come in and record his parts before he had to get back to Boston to check in and get his methadone or end up in withdrawals. So we were very pressed for time. So that album was recorded in one night because the band showed up band being Joe and B-Face, and they got set up and they got things mic'd, but we couldn't start till Hugh got in. Hugh flew to, you know, Joe and B-Face drove from New Hampshire. Hugh flew into Indianapolis, and I think Master Genie went down and picked him up. Somebody went down and picked him up. And that's, you know, I think a little over an hour from Lafayette. So by the time we started, it was... 10 o'clock at night and, and Hugh had to be back at the airport in the morning. So we worked till four in the morning, got a couple hours of sleep and then got up and, and finished guitars and vocals, uh, before Joe and B-Face had to leave cause they had to be back like Monday morning for work. So when you listen to that record and you go, man, this is really sloppy, that's why. It was recorded in probably all told less than 12 hours. And then later we did add some backing vocals. A guy, Mass, knew, came in and, and did some backing vocals. But uh, I, don't, I got off on a tangent there. I apologize, but um, some of you might find it interesting. But anyway, I named that record. I had had that title tucked away for a while and thought it would be a good title for that album, Love Songs for the Retarded. And I was thinking about it yesterday because after Joe and the guys left, I had to run over to the supermarket and uh, there's a, a 
fellow there, developmentally disabled fellow there, and, uh, you know, introduced himself to me. But ever since we've been masked up, like, I always say hi to him and call him by name, but he never remembers who I am, I think, because he doesn't doesn't recognize because I've got the mask on. But every time when he realizes it's me, he, you know, asks me about uh, my kids and my wife and my work and, and all this stuff. And it reminded me of a time, it was after my daughters were born and they were quite young, but before I think my son was born. And it was a very, very hectic time. And we had a nanny uh, for the kids during the day so I could work. And I went over to the supermarket once again. And again, a different guy, developmentally disabled guy, was stocking the shelves. And I was just, I was half out of it and not in a good mood. Things weren't going well. And he, and he said, oh, hi, how, how are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm hanging in there. You know, I don't know why I said there that way. I'm hanging in there. It's like the robot in my head just, just uh, like flipped a weird switch or something. I have no idea why I pronounced that that way. Anyway, I'm hanging in there, I said, weirdly. And uh, I said, how are you doing? He says, awesome. <laughs> and I, you could tell he was doing awesome. You know, he's stocking shelves. He's out there working earning a buck, you know, meeting people, talking to people. And, you know, it, it occurred to me, I, I don't like it when, uh, when people make these demands that you shouldn't use such and such term anymore, and now we're saying this instead, and they get all mad at you if you use the wrong term. And I don't like it because it's all about power. It's all about control. You're never going to be able to understand how to create art if you don't first understand that the nature of human relationships is based primarily on power. Every human relationship is a power struggle. And language is one of the ways uh, in which we assert power and control, not just our use of language, but our policing of language, especially uh, in the past 10 years or so. And I remember back, must have been in the late 80s, maybe the early 90s, uh, somebody wrote in a letter to Maximum Rock and Roll and said they, you know, they worked with whatever the, the proper term was for developmentally disabled people back then. I don't think it was developmentally disabled. I think it went from like retarded to something else to to developmentally disabled, but they were taking the, the, for lack of a better term, the magazine's editor, boss, Tim Yohannan, this person was taking him to task for using the term retardo to describe certain forms of music. I'm pretty sure Screeching Weasel was referred to uh, more than once in the pages of Maximum Rock and Roll as retardo punk, a label that I was proud of. And, uh, and of course, you know, Tim... Tim wasn't having it. Nobody was having it. It was just, you know, and this person was like, well, I work with, you know, I work with people, you know, with cognitive problems or whatever, and, and it's offensive and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, whatever. 
Nobody took it seriously. And I think, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds. It, you know, the thing about insanity is that it's sort of like genuine insanity is sort of like um, a good lie in this sense. A good lie always has some truth at its, at its, uh, as its basis. And genuine insanity always has a seemingly sane idea as its basis. So it's easy to say, you know, all this woke or politically correct or whatever term we're using now, all this stuff is, is nonsense and it's, there's no validity to it whatsoever. And you miss the, you know, the fact that, well, no, there is, you know, there is a, a legitimate um, issue with racism and bigotry in the country. And there, there are legitimate uh, issues that women uh, are dealing with and that the transgendered and the gay people and this and that and the other thing. Is it quite at the extremes that the, the loudest lunatics in the room want, want us to think it is? No, of course not. But that doesn't mean the problems don't exist. And I think that the people who genuinely care about and would like to see these issues change are as frustrated as the rest of us when we see the lunatics taking over. So, so and I have a lot of sympathy uh, for, for people who are, um, you know, trying to uh, make some sort of change in the way uh, society looks at and deals with certain issues, right? So, I, I like my attitude is not nothing should ever change ever. I mean, words change, their meanings change, their usage changes, but I'm just always on the lookout for that abuse of power. I'm always on the lookout for are you doing this for a legitimate reason or are you, um, are you attempting to uh, silence people? And are you attempting, to some extent, not influence their thoughts, but control their thoughts? Because there's a big difference between the two. I'm all for influencing people's thoughts. That's what we all ought to be doing. But when you shut down speech, you're no longer trying to influence. Now you're trying to control. And I'm against that, as I think all good Americans are. So, uh, but I, I don't believe, and I think you'd have to be crazy to believe that any development, developmentally disabled person or probably any of the people who work with them are trying to assert control and power over the rest of us by saying, hey, look, this word retarded is offensive. Didn't used to be, it is now, you know use some terms that are a little kinder. And I, I think that's reasonable because I think it's pretty clear that, uh, that you know, there's nothing um, controlling behind that uh, request. I think it's a reasonable request. And, uh, and these are not people whose feelings I wish to hurt, if only because whenever I encounter somebody who is developmentally disabled, um, I find them without exception to be uh, really decent people who make my day better. And 
Um, and I realize that it's not, it would be silly to say that people with cognitive problems uh, don't ever get in bad moods or they're never jerks or they never have bad days, but it is kind of remarkable that I can't really think of an exception to when I've run into somebody in a situation like that who hasn't frankly gone out of their way to make my day a little bit better and who hasn't you know, been interested in asking me questions about myself and my life. Uh, I think we would all do a lot better to, um, to behave that way. So I don't want to, uh, to offend or hurt those people. So I'm trying very hard to break the lifelong habit of using that term and, uh, and trying to start using, um, something else instead, uh, that is not offensive to them. And I realize that there are people out there who just, you know, draw a line in the sand and, you know, if you do something like that, it's like, yeah, you're, you're bowing to pressure or political correctness, but those people are wrong. Uh, a couple of other things I want to mention. Uh, I had talked about vaccines for children and, you know, my sort of agonizing over whether to get uh, our son vaccinated. Um, and somebody named Bill left a comment on that post. And if you want, you can go look it up on the here on the Cool Kids Club substack. But linked to an interesting uh, kind of recap of an FDA panel or meeting uh, where they were discussing the issues that I had raised at that time. And it, it didn't answer all my questions, but it answered a lot of them and made, you know, it, it actually addressed some of the things that seemingly nobody else was addressing. And uh, it's a shame that, that we are just not doing that in general. The media isn't doing that. People on Twitter aren't doing it. Nobody's doing it. We're just kind of taking sides and pulling out our swords and saying, okay, let's fight if you don't agree with me. Um, but the information is there. It's a, just a damn shame it was so hard to find. Uh, so our, our son did get that, that first um, vaccination, and I think in about two weeks he'll be due for the second one. Um, and I have plenty more to say on that subject, but I'm not going to do it today because we're already at the almost the 23-minute mark, so we'll wrap this up. But the last thing I wanted to mention uh, is just a plug for the reissue of Major Label Debut, our six-song EP that originally came out in nine, 1998. It's on Bandcamp now. It'll be streaming everywhere this Friday. But one thing that happened that I thought was kind of funny was we put, you know, we did the social media blast for it. And, and, uh, on Facebook, like everybody and their mother's like, well, what about the vinyl? And I'm thinking we, we, it was like a few years ago that we finally got rid of the last of that final. We couldn't give it away. Where's the vinyl? Where's the vinyl? The market is flooded with the vinyl. Trust me. I doubt if it's going for anything, uh, above what somebody paid for it on, you know, Discogs or eBay or wherever it is people are buying and selling records now. Um, but, it, but, but that's not my main point. The main thing is when that record came out, an awful lot of people um, hated that record and thought that the band sucked because that was the first thing that we did after, um, after uh, 
Dan Panic left, and I sent Danny Vapid packing for, I don't know, the first or second time. Um, and so Zach Damon joined us and Master Genie and Dan Lumley. And I think people just reacted against that. They just reacted that it was a, a mostly new lineup. But, um, but it's a good example of why I, I learned to counsel myself not to take seriously anything anybody says about a record when it comes out. N- not just negative, but positive as well. You know, our last record got a lot of positive um, chatter about it. But I've been in this game long enough to know that the next one, there's a bunch of people who may not even know it yet who have already decided that the next one's not as good as the, as the previous one. They've already made up their mind. It's funny how music fans develop these narratives and they stick to them no matter what. And it's like they, they act as though they're all individually coming up with the, the, the same unique thought. <laughs> you know. And I think a lot of the times they just hear somebody say something and then they repeat it because it sounds like it's something most other people aren't saying. Like it kind of goes against the tide. And I think people want to have a unique voice. But there are so many motivations for speaking about music um, that have nothing to do with the music that it's virtually impossible to tell the difference between legitimate criticisms and bogus ones. And so my advice is don't listen to any of it and wait a good 20 years till after a record comes out to, um, to decide how, how it's been a, assessed because, um, I've made records that went over really badly at the time. I remember, in fact, when we did the second Riverdale's record, Storm the Streets, and it did not do very well. And I remember very distinctly telling the other guys in the band and telling friends and stuff, give it 20 years. People are going to love this record. And it didn't even take that long. It took like less than 10 years before people came around to it. But when it came out, it was people compared it to the previous one and very, very unfavorably, which was silly because it was clearly about as objectively as possible so much better than the previous one. But, uh, but I knew, like, this one's going to, this one, you know, there's going to be a very different opinion of it 20 years down the road. And like I said, it didn't take that long. My, my, Latest one for that, of course, is the Baby Fat album. There's a, there's of course a group of people who love it, but there's a, the the um, the kind of pop punk, primarily the pop punk attitude towards it is it's a terrible record. It's not a terrible record. It's a fantastic record. It includes some of the best songs I've ever written, and uh, and we, you know I've talked about this with Mike, our producer, and and other people, and everybody says the same thing. It's just it's not, it's not what people expected because it's a bunch of different people singing the songs. It's a rock opera. And I thought, but that's, you know, we crowdfunded for it. I told people, this is what I'm going to do. And then they gave me money and I went and did it. I mean, would you think I was kidding? Uh, so I, I, I don't know, but I, um, am very proud of that record. And I think it's going to prove to, uh, stand the test of time, far, far better than people think. 
maybe I'll turn out to be wrong. I don't know, but I don't think so. I'm usually, when I put a record out, I'm usually of the opinion that, uh, that I don't really have an opinion on it besides I like it. But in terms of how it's going to hold up, I've learned to wait because just like I think a lot of the fans don't know, I don't know either. I'm too close to it. But every once in a while, I'll make a record. My Brain Hurts was one of them. And, uh, and Baby Fat was another where I was like, yeah, I, I, I hit on something here. And whether people realize it or not right away, eventually it's going to go down as being one of the better, the better things I've done. So I was right about My Brain Hurts. And I'll bet I'm going to be right about Baby Fat as well. But if I'm not, nobody loses because the, uh, the cranks uh, get to um, shout with glee because they said it was a bad record and it turns out everybody agrees with them 20 years down the road. And, uh, and I still uh, managed to make a very expensive record without putting up any of my own money and uh, earned a profit as well. So everybody wins. Uh, thank you for joining me today. I will, holy cow, I can't keep doing these things at half an hour long. This is too long. Trust me, I'll keep it shorter next time, I promise. But uh, thank you for joining me. I will be with you again next week. Until then, please remember I love you all very much. So long.